Get ready, get comfy for the next nonprofit insider podcast episode. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Nonprofit Insider Podcast, episode 31. We are rocking and rolling. Happy New Year to you, 2024. Whew. Boy, oh boy, leap year. <laughs> so we are going to have a February 29th this year, eclipse, uh, just all types of things going on. We are going to have a good year here on the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. It's funny because there's going to be a lot of changes happening. I can't can't tell you all those right now, but there's going to be a lot of changes happening in 2024, not only for the podcast, but in my personal life as well. I was talking with a really good homegirl not long ago, and she's like, I'm not even looking forward to 2024. Bills, inflation, there's just a lot of things going on. So if nothing else, hopefully you were able to ring in 2024 on a positive note. It feels like within two, three, four days of starting a new year, so many people are going, oh my gosh, this year fucking sucks already. <laughs> and that's every year. Uh, but hopefully for those first like 24 to 48 the 72 hours you had a really good time uh listen be sure to listen to the most recent episode of the nonprofit insider podcast the one before this we we're starting a new series we're calling it the non-profit insider uncut that's where i'm going to give you some more unfiltered uncut a little bit more raw aspects of my thoughts when it comes to the nonprofit space we started off real light last time we talked a little bit about work from home procedures and some of the things that are happening there. Uh, we, we're going to try to have each episode be about 15 minutes, nothing too crazy, nothing too long, just in and out, just some thoughts and things like that. And we'll just kind of keep it moving. And it's funny because I think on the next episode, here's a little bit of a teaser. We're going to talk about the NRA, one of the more popular nonprofits out there. We might talk about that next Wednesday. So stay tuned for that. Be sure to subscribe to the Nonprofit Insider podcast on Apple or Spotify because you're gonna want to listen to the uncut series. But this is this is this is the 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 easy uh episodes. This is where we talk a little bit about news. We have our revolving segment, nonprofit horror stories, and then of course we have our main segment, the B block, where we just talk about something in the nonprofit space. And I just go off for about 10, 12 minutes. Interesting episode today because, you know, this was going to be episode 30. And then just on a whim, I actually decided to start the Uncut series. I was just sitting here. I was like, I have so many thoughts of the nonprofit space, but I just can't put it in. And so just one weekend, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start a new series called Uncut. But this was going to be episode 30 where I was going to do a celebratory type of ordeal where I give you uh, a, a continuance of the top myths in the nonprofit space. We're going to talk about that here in about 11 minutes. I'm going to about 11, 12 minutes. We're going to give some insights and some thoughts and some of the biggest myths uh, in the nonprofit space. If you haven't already, though, you got to go back and listen to some of the previous episodes. You got to go back to episode 10. That was a really good one. The top five nonprofit myths. You got to go back to episode 20, where we did the top 10 nonprofit myths and we just extend it we just keep building upon it so we're going to talk about five more myths and if you want to listen to those other 10 myths go back to episode uh 10 go back to episode 20 top 10 nonprofit myths top five nonprofit myths those are from june and september respectively i'm going to put it in the show notes so you can just go ahead and jump right to it you don't even have to find or anything like that 
Let me see if there's anything else. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. Be sure to follow on TikTok. Same name, the Nonprofit Insider. You can follow us there. We've got a little, lot of new followers. And for you new listeners, glad to have you inside. Glad to have you as an insider. I'm going to actually start off. We're going to talk a little bit about the news section. There's been a lot of talk about Harvard president resigning. I have some thoughts about that, but not in the fashion uh, that, that you've been seeing a lot. So let's go ahead and get into it. But first, let me tell you about my friends at Red Rock Roasters. Listen, you know I've been talking about Red Rock Roasters for some time. They have been a supporter of the Nonprofit Insider podcast pretty much since the jump. And look, I wouldn't even be talking about them if their coffee and business practices were not good. This is the coffee destination you need in your life. And one of my favorite things, they have this thing called the Red Rock Roasters Coffees of the Month Club. And look, it's a new year, new year, new you, maybe some new coffee, right? Based out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, Red Rock Roasters is a local family-owned, multi-generational coffee speciality company, and they have everything you are looking for. And with their coffee of the club, they are able to send you coffee directly in the mail, ships every single month on the same day. You don't have to get out of your car. You don't have to go inside to get the coffee. You can brew this coffee right at home, and they have all kinds of roasts, all kinds of flavors. You're gonna wanna give this a try. Head over to redrockroasters.com. I have the information in the show notes. You can check them out on Instagram. I'm posting about them all the time because their coffee is phenomenal and they have such an amazing sustainable footprint in the Albuquerque area. Be sure to check them out. We appreciate them sponsoring the show. All right, unless you've been living on the rock or you've been busy, which, listen, a lot of us are. You can't keep up with everything that's happening in the world. But if you've been in the nonprofit space, especially if you're in education and secondary education, you've probably been keeping up with what's happening with what with, with, uh, former president Claudine Gay and Harvard University as a whole. Um, and it's interesting because I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to, what was I listening to? I was listening to... What's Right with Nick Wright. I like his podcast. It's a sports podcast. And he was giving credit to another individual who said that like life is really like high school, but the ramifications are much bigger. Where you have your popular kids, you're not popular kids, you have your jocks, you have your nerds, you have your golf, you have your, you know, whatever, whatever. Life in a lot of respects is like high school. If you ever had drama with people, right? I mean, even just things like when... Uh, the Queen died, and Prince Charles, and Meghan Merkel, and Harry, what's his name? I can't even remember his name. Like, a lot of that is kind of high school-y stuff, and we keep up with it. And look, I- I'm no different. When it comes to certain parts of certain aspects of society, I'm going to try to keep up with what's happening at least a little bit. You know, I'm not going to invest all my time, but you know, I'm going to try to keep up at least a little bit. And so... I remember when, when Claudine Gay was hired as the Harvard president, you know, first African-American, it's only the second woman in the university's history of 30 presidents to serve in that particular role. And thinking, that's pretty interesting. It'll be, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see some of the things she has going on, because whether we like it or not, Harvard is the premier destination when it comes to, to secondary uh, education, college, master's, you know, doctor's degree. They have... Uh, the largest endowment of any uh, college in America, uh, I think like, I think it's like 
one third or one fourth of all presidents have come from Harvard University. A lot of money, a lot of prestige, a lot of power, but they do have a lot of aspects of history that are less than pleasant. And so when, when she came into that role, I thought, oh, that's very interesting. I'm going to keep up with it because Harvard has a lot of influence in a lot of respects to the nonprofit space as a whole. And, and so, look, I'm, I'm going to build a bridge here over the next four or five minutes. And I want you to keep up with me because you're probably thinking, swim, Colleen Gay was ousted because of um, because of accusations of plagiarism and not following anti or not following, but not uh, properly uh, denouncing anti-Semitic views and speeches on her college uh, of Harvard. And so not normally a topic we would touch on because there's a lot of aspects of what's happened, of course, in Israel uh, and the Gaza Strip and Palestine. But I want to build a bridge here, and I want you to follow with me here. So I recalled when when that congressional hearing had happened, and a lot of people said they did not like a lot of what they heard from University of Pennsylvania president, Harvard president, and then MIT's Massachusetts Institute of Technology president and denouncing anti-Semitic views, hate speech, protests, that type of thing. And it's kind of, it's been muddled down a little bit, it's a little bit of the culture wars. But I remember when uh, the University of Pennsylvania president Liz McGill, and so you can look this up if you get a chance, she resigned and I thought, huh, now that's very interesting. You know, I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm from Philadelphia. I actually got uh, accepted to the University of Pennsylvania. Could not afford it. They wouldn't even give me a single scholarship. I think it was like a, I think they gave me like a two grand scholarship. But they were like, hey, we'd like to actually have you come to this Ivy League school. I could not afford it. Looking back, maybe that was a bit of a mistake. <laughs> but I remember she resigned. I thought that's interesting. Fast forward, like I think six weeks, and this is the topic that's been on everyone's mind. A lot of people were talking about it. Caudine Gay, she was ousted. She resigned as the Harvard president. Um, and, and the big thing was not as much of the anti-Semitic aspects and not the denouncements of that, but more the plagiarism thing. And so as I've been, you know, reading it, and that's again a topic I wasn't even gonna bring up on the podcast because it doesn't have many aspects to the nonprofit space. But as I dig, dug deeper and deeper, I kept seeing a name. I was like, okay, I actually know this name. And one of the key figures in the resignation for uh, Claudine Gay as the Harvard president was as, as, as an individual by the name of Bill Ackman. Now, Bill Ackman is a name that I first heard of way back in 2018. So bear with me here. If, you, if, you, if you're in front of your computer... If you've got your phone, maybe you're driving. Don't do this if you're driving. Bust out your phone and type in the name Bill Ackman if you haven't heard it. This is an individual. He he stands out from a crowd. He's got like really white, gray hair. A little bit of a taller dude. I think he's got like bluish eyes. He just he just stands out from a crowd. He's always pictured in suits and things like that. And he's just a billionaire. And, and so one of the things is Bill Ackman, he he started an organization, a hedge fund company in New York called Purging Square Capital back in 2004. Harvard grad, I, I believe he went to Yale. I have to double check that here, but I know for sure he went to went to Harvard. Uh, he did some capital, you know, work, and then he ended up starting his own company called Purging Square Capital. Over the years, since 2014, over the span of 20 years, he took an initial investment of $54 million, and he turned that into a 
billion dollars in his own personal net worth, I should say, not the company as a whole. And he's got money tied up or he's had money tied up to some of the brands that you haven't heard of. But he's also got some money tied up in his uh, hedge fund to brands you have heard of, like Chipotle, Target, JCPenney. Uh, One of the most interesting aspects of his investment is he did a $1 billion shorting of a company called Herbalife. For those of you that are not familiar with Herbalife, it's a, it's an MLM, multi-level marketing. You know I hate MLMs here. If there's anything I hate, it's insurance companies and MLMs. We could talk about that on another line. Hit me up on Instagram at the Nonprofit Insider. And, and he did a $1 billion short on Herbalife because he said this is a pyramid scheme. And, and look... I would agree. There, there are a lot of MLMs. I'm, I'm familiar with a lot of MLMs in my life, but it was definitely a pyramid scheme. He put a billion dollars to, to short that. And, and so I actually first heard about Bill Ackman back in 2018 because I was doing some research on the Central Park Conservancy Foundation. Now, if you haven't heard of it, the CPC, that's what some people call it for short. They're a big player in New York City. If you're a wheeler, if you're a dealer, if you've got money in your pocket, if you live on, um, I'm trying to think, Fifth Avenue, 18th Street, I think that's what it is, if I'm not mistaken. If you have a view if, uh, of Central Park, if you live in one of those multi $10 million type properties on like 157 uh, Billionaires Row, you're probably giving some type of money to the to the CPC, the Central Park Conservancy. So that's the first time I heard his name because uh, in a lot of circles, they do galas every year. And they are a, a, a private nonprofit organization that does work in the maintenance and the upkeep and keeping the lore of Central Park. Because look, if you're a billionaire and you live in New York City, Central Park, for the most part, may be the only place you can go. It's green. It's, you know, for the most part, if you're deep enough in Central Park, it's away from the the honking and the hustle and bustle of New York City. And so I had first heard his name just doing work because I think I saw his name um, as a former attendee of one of the galas or a couple of the galas of the Central Park Conservancy. And so in that time, I've actually just kept up with the name because he's got some interesting investments and he has some interesting money tied to a couple of different nonprofits. Um, and he also does some some political givings as well. I think he gave money to the Bloomberg endorse uh, make Michael Bloomberg for his endorsement or his uh, bill to become the mayor. And we know Bloomberg has a big foundation. He gives a lot of money in the nonprofit space. Okay, so you're with me so far. So again, I'm building a bridge, but I think you you see where I'm going with this. So back in 2006, he starts a foundation called Purging Pursing Square Foundation. So he's got Pershing Square. Um, uh, oh my gosh, I already got Pershing Square Capital, and then like with anyone that that has even a significant amount of money, you, you're going to want to hide some of that money. Uh, you want to tax haven some of that money. So what do you do? You start a nonprofit. You start a private foundation. Completely legal. Everybody does it. So it is what it is. So he establishes this foundation in 2006 with his ex-wife, Karen Ackman. And if I if, if you're like, dang, Sam, I can't believe you know all this. Listen, 
this is one of the few people that I've actually followed pretty closely over the last five years. And so I actually happen to know a lot about his foundation as a whole. And it's interesting because a lot of the things, I'll be honest, a lot of the things he's done, I've actually appreciated. I've liked a lot of it. I've seen a good amount of it. Not that everyone, you know, not that he's perfect. It has everything I agree with. Uh, but up until recently, a lot of the things that he's a part of, I'm like, huh, I'm just going to follow it and just kind of see see where it goes. And, and so he has this foundation. And according to Candid, shout out to Candid.org, you know, they always provide us all the stuff, them and GuideStar. Um, as of 2022, Bill Atkins Foundation, Pershing Square Foundation, had $474 million in assets. And then that same year, they had $28 million in expenses, and then they gave $15 million in giving. Now, look, I know there's been some some um, things about Bill Ackman's past that you all can kind of look into because one of the most, uh, th- th- that's a lot of expenses. To have $28 million in expenses, but only $15 million in giving, that's a little bit of a higher ratio than a lot of people would like. Um, but, but it's not anything that would cause the IRS as an example to be like, Hey, what the, what's maybe they'll send a letter, like what's going on. But for the most part, it is what it is. And I know when looking at their expenses, a 32 page, uh, 990 dash PF report, one of the things is they gave $5 million to an organization called table management. And you could that dang five, uh, one private foundation giving $5 million to one other uh, investment management group. Well, it's a management group that he owns. And so this is where you start to get a lot of people that will get into aspects of dark money and the way things are transferred because you go, wait a minute, don't you own this management fund? So it's like you raise this money, you get this money, and then you turn around, put it in your nonprofit, and then your nonprofit puts it into another company that you own. Again, no lawyer, no tax expert, but there's a lot of aspects to that. And and one of the things is, I remember years ago, someone was working with a foundation, and they said, Swim, think about this here. If you have a foundation that's worth $500 million, and your foundation, just, just your foundation every year has investments where you own just 3%, just 3% every year, that's $15 million. That's $15 million. So you can have a foundation that lasts like uh, the Ford Foundation, like the Kellogg Foundation. You can have a foundation that will last like the Rockefeller Foundation, Carnegie. You can have a foundation that can last 60, 70, 80, 100 plus years just because you have your foundation tied up in, in investments and things like that. And uh, I know we're going over it, but listen, rock with me here. Stay with me here. When looking at all of the money that Pershing Square Foundation gave in 2022, it is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And, and I want to read you some numbers here because I think you all would find this interesting. In 2021, they gave money to the Memorial Sloan Ketting Cancer Center. They gave $1.4 million. 
and then pledged an additional $1.2 million. Again, this is all in the tax return. I'm going to put this in, in the in the uh, show notes so you can look at it. $1.4 million given and then another $1.2 million uh, pledged. And what, would that, what did that money go to? The Purging Square shown prize for young investigators in cancer research. Well, they give so much money, they've got part of the building or the research named after them. Not surprising, you know. If, if I gave a bunch of money to my alma mater, I'm going to want a name somewhere. <laughs> so it's, it is what it is. So you're talking, you know, $2.5 million out of this $15 million to this cancer research. $2.35 million to Oxford University. $2.1 million to the Robin Hood Foundation. They gave $800,000 to the trustees of Columbia University. $800 million given to Yale University. Or excuse me, $800,000. Uh, $800 million. $800,000 given to Yale University. With an additional $800,000 pledged to Yale University. And then, of course, no surprise here, $200,000 for the Harvard Friends of Rowing uh, because Bill Ackman was on the rowing team for Harvard. And look, you get what I'm coming at. Nonprofits can be used as cat pawns for all types of entities, including just very, very rich people. And that's one of the things where a lot of people may not truly understand the difference between public charities and private foundations. Now, if you're in this space, you know what it is. Uh, but but nonprofits are not all equal. And private foundations, I like to say private foundations are like the Bruce Wayne of 501c3s. There's a lot of mystery attached to them. And it's interesting because I, I tried to look up the biggest nonprofit foundations in the United States. And I looked up a list of 100. And, and I can only find from 2015. Uh, I wish I was able to find some from like 2020. But as of 2015, of the top 100 nonprofits uh, based off of assets, the, the, the money amount of assets, the Bill Ackman's foundation of 500 million wouldn't even scratch the top 100 that is how much money we are talking about when we talk about uh money in the nonprofit space specifically with private foundations and so look nonprofits can be used like cat's paws i've been reading a lot of uh asap fables to my son and one of the things that as we kind of dive into aspects of the nonprofit space um, and we read, and because he was on the, one of the episodes, but as we read some of these ASAP fables and teach him some morals, there's one of the cat's paw, right? A, a monkey and a cat are best friends, and the monkey and the cat have, uh, they're in, they go into a person's house or living in a house or something like that, and there's a bunch of chestnuts in a fire, and the monkey's like, oh, you, sir cat, are so much more graceful, and you just have such the, the the length and the speed and the skill sets to do it. And so the monkey sits back and the and the cat goes and burns his paw every time to try to get one of these chestnuts. And as the cat pushes one of the chestnuts, the, cat, the, the monkey is able to pick up the chestnuts and eat them. And then they get busted and then the cat and the monkey go off and the cat has a burnt hand but no chestnuts. Nonprofits are the same way because if Bill Ackman or anyone else, and it's not to say this happens, it's not a great conspiracy, 
But you could be an executive director of a nonprofit. You could give, you, you could have the ability to give away $20 million as you see fit. You're executive director, you do as you see fit. But if that billionaire that's worth $4 billion comes into your office and says, hey, in 2024, I don't want you to give money to that organization. I want you to give money to this organization. You're getting $400,000, $500,000 a year. Are you going to tell that billionaire no? Are you going to tell that billionaire no? I, I, I didn't think so. It's easier said than done. Um, and usually a lot of the people that are running these big foundations, especially if it's a direct where your foundation is getting a lot of money directly from one individual uh, you see this with like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That's where there's a lot of scrutiny on them. And they have more money than a lot of people realize. Uh, usually th- these leaders of uh, these foundations are a lot more quiet. But many nonprofits and executive directors serve the will uh, of their backers. And in this case, Bill Ackman is no different. All right, we're back. And did we legit just go 20 minutes talking about mega donors and private foundations? Yes, we really just did that. <laughs> but listen, when the topic is good, you just got to kind of keep rolling. And uh, we're going to keep rolling here. Episode 31, mega episode for us. And we have a continuance of the top myths in the nonprofit sector. One of the things I like to do every 10 episodes or so. Just a continuance of the top myths that are in the nonprofit space. We've already done the top five, and then we did another five, and so now we're doing another five. And so every 10 episodes, I think we're going to do this probably all the way up to, to 25. I think once I hit 25 myths, I'll just stop. We'll come up with a new list because we're just always going to keep producing episodes here at the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. And look, I have five more myths, the top 15 myths. Again, if you haven't already, I'm not going to list all 15, but you got to go back to episode 10 and episode 20 to listen to the previous myths. Uh, But we're going to do five more myths, and that's going to be a a total of 15 myths. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Myth number one. People in the nonprofit space are not business savvy. Now, now look, this is one I've heard countless times, and you've heard it in so many ways. People in the nonprofit space don't know how to make money. Uh, People in the nonprofit space just focus on fundraising, and then they run the the operation all willy-nilly. People would be very surprised by how resourceful individuals in the nonprofit space can be and how people in nonprofit space, period, can be. And it, look, it doesn't matter if you have a 501c4, if you have a social network, a social organization, it doesn't matter if you have a 501c3. To, to be completely honest, it doesn't even matter if you have a 501c1. Many aspects of the nonprofit space require you to pay vendors, employees, staff members, Uh, If you're relying on internet services, you still have to pay bills and you still have to get money. And then you still have to use that money responsibly. And there are a lot of aspects to the nonprofit world where you have to be business savvy. You have to have an understanding of what's coming in, what's going out. 
What are the needs of your people? What are the things that you can kind of risk? What are the things that you can't risk? So whenever I hear individuals say people in the nonprofit space aren't business savvy, and I don't hear this a lot in comparison to some other things that you're here on today's list, but that's just one that's simply not true. I always like to say that people in the nonprofit space are very resource savvy. That's my kind of counter to it, where if you are given the $280,000 from a mega donor, that's your one donor is 80%, and you have to figure out the other 20% of the money you need to raise and then using that money properly, you have to be at least somewhat business savvy to be in this space, especially if you are leading a nonprofit organization as a CFO, a regional CEO, or a COO. Myth number two, the nonprofit space is full of smart slash caring slash nice people. Now look, I've kind of bundled that all in, <laughs> uh, but this is one that I hear a lot from people that are outside the nonprofit space, especially where individuals will go, oh, you work in nonprofit. I know someone that used to work in nonprofit and compared to my corporate shark tank style job, everyone in the nonprofit space seems to be so caring or so nice or so smart. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth. Like I say this every time, 10% of all people in in the the working uh, environment and the working for in the workforce work in nonprofit. You can't have 10% of all working Americans in any industry all be nice, caring, or smart people. There are a lot of idiots. <laughs> and, and more often than not, I get a lot of, uh, I talk to a lot of people in the nonprofit space that say, oh yeah, I was working in nonprofit or I still work in nonprofit. And more than anything else, you hear a lot of people say, a lot of the people that are running these organizations don't know their foot from their ass. I mean, flat out. And, and to think that, Everyone in nonprofit space is smart and or caring and or nice is not true. It's not true. There are a lot of assholes, uh, a lot of people that are in this world that you really just would rather not have to deal with at all. You'd rather not have to deal with them at all. So I always like to say, whenever you're talking to someone in nonprofit space, don't assume that they are a nice person. Uh, there are a lot of people in this space that are really mean that really don't care, and they're really just out for themselves. And to a degree, we're all out for ourselves. But to think that it's a blanket idea that more people than not in the nonprofit space are smart, caring, or nice simply isn't true. Myth number three, the nonprofit space is not tech savvy. Now, look, this is one that... Um, out of all of them, I'm not going to lie, there's a little more truth to this than not, because it's all relative, right? In comparison to if you work in Silicon Valley, you work at Uber, Apple, Airbnb, you do some type of AI work, you know, warehouse uh, mechanics, whatever the case may be. Yes, in that particular respect, a lot of a lot a lot of different parts of the nonprofit space are simply not going to be as tech savvy as compared to private sector, uh, honestly, even parts of government like military. But 
the nonprofit space is not tech poor. There are a lot of aspects and parts of the nonprofit world that use some really good pieces of technology. As I was talking about earlier in today's episode, looking at mega donors like Pershing Square Foundation, when you have assets of $500 million, you're going to have access to some of the best technology money can buy in the world, period. Now, I always like to say, it does depend on the sector, right? More often than not, when you're in the 501c3 sphere, like public charities, parts of religion, parts of education, which is a whole nother conversation, there are going to be many aspects of the 501c3 world where you go, they really just don't have the best technology possible. And I mean, like, I mean, almost down to like the internet, <laughs> where the, or just even the internet service fucking sucks. But that's not always the case. If you're in private foundations, if you're in credit unions, if you're a certain veterans group, you might have access to some really good pieces of technology that can really benefit your constituents or, or your clients or people that uh, really fall under, under the umbrella of your mission. So while out of all five of these myths, this one is a little more true, it's not as true as people think. There are a lot of parts of the nonprofit space where the technology is really, really jumping. And as you would imagine, the more money your nonprofit has, the more access you're going to have to better technology. Myth number four. And out of all of the myths, number four is honestly my favorite. Uh, myth number four. The nonprofit space is open-minded. Oof, this could be one we could talk about in the uncut series because there is a lot of part. There, there are a lot of aspects to the nonprofit space that is simply not as open minded as you think. And look, we're we're just gonna be real here. A lot of people, when they think of certain parts of the nonprofit space, they think of um, diversity, uh, a diversity heaven, right? where there's rainbow flags everywhere, everyone loves each other, no one is judgy, uh, people are able to show up as their pure, authentic self. That's something that you hear a lot of in today's world. And, and folks, that's just that's just not the truth. And if you're in the nonprofit space, you already know that. But a lot of folks on the outside looking in will look through that window and go, gosh, it's just like, again, I'm just using it as an example, but they think it's LGBT rainbow flags and people showing up dressed all kinds of ways and just being their authentic selves. And there's a lot of parts to nonprofit space where you may not feel that your whole self is accepted. And so when I hear the aspect of the nonprofit world being open minded, yeah, to a degree, there's no doubt about it. To a degree, there's no doubt about it compared to if you work at a law firm in downtown Manhattan, New York City, or if you work at a construction site in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, yeah, you're going to be a little more open at that local nonprofit in Indianapolis or Detroit or Dallas or whatever the case may be in comparison, but it's not all peaches and fucking rainbows. There are a lot of people, and I know this for a fact, uh, myself included, there are a lot of individuals in the nonprofit space that don't feel like it's as open-minded as people think. There's a lot of fugazi. 
there's a lot of aspects and parts of the nonprofit world that is really just performative. You hear that quite a bit. So no, the nonprofit space is not as open-minded as some people think, and it's not all peaches and rainbows on this side of the fence. And myth number five, and this is one of my favorite ones, nonprofits are more involved with politics and government than most other organizational structures. And, and this is one of I haven't studied this or specialized in this. So there, there, there could be, if you really look at the numbers, some truth to it. But this is more of a feeling than anything. There are a lot of people in the nonprofit space that simply are not involved with politics and government. And there, and there are a lot of restrictions, of course, that come with it. If you've listened to one of our previous episodes, What is a Nonprofit Anyway? That was episode seven. So far, it's our most popular episode yet. More downloads on that than any other. Uh, if you listen to that episode, I talk about how when looking at the IRS's tax structure, a lot of nonprofits are forbidden from doing a lot of high-level um, involvement with politics and government. Like you can't endorse a lot of 50C3s. You can't endorse candidates. You can't do political giving. So that alone handcuffs a lot of nonprofits from doing too much in politics and government. But there are a lot of people that will say, okay, well, your nonprofit is involved in homelessness. Your nonprofit is involved in environmentalism. Your nonprofit is involved with a lot of aspects of culture wars we see today, like gay marriage, um, affirmative action, abortion rights, whatever. So you may think that the nonprofit space is really intertwined with, with, with government and politics. And I'm here to tell you two things. One, a lot of nonprofits and their organizations as a whole are not as involved in politics or government work as you think. Now, look, 80% of all nonprofits get their money from a government agency of some sort, whether it's federal, state, whatever the case may be. But even then, because of a lot of the restrictions, the organizations themselves may not do as much work with government or politics as you may think. They may do some, but it may not be to the level that you think like when you think of like the Koch brothers and the money they give or George Soros and the money they give or honestly, even like organizations like the Sierra Club, right? They're 501c4, so they're able to do a little bit more in the politics sphere, but it's not to the degree that you, that you may think. And the second thing is a lot of people in the nonprofit space don't give two shits about politics or government. I, I can tell you that right now. Uh, there are a lot of people, and look, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, you you do you, but th there's a lot of people that think that because you work in an after-school program that you are deeply invested in, in what the local Buncombe County, shout out to Asheville, you may be invested in what the local Buncombe County City Council or City Council may be doing in terms of education. There are a lot of people that are in this space, and you hear this a lot, there are a lot of people that are in the nonprofit space that just kind of fumbled into it. They just kind of fell into it. And even if you were intentional about the nonprofit space like I am, you can still be in the nonprofit space and not spend a whole lot of time thinking about politics or government. I mean, look at how many episodes we've done. And I'm only just now really, really talking about 
some aspects of, of the culture wars that we're hearing, like I talked about earlier with Claudine Gay and Harvard and Bill Ackman and things that come with it. So no, just because you're in a nonprofit space does not mean you're deeply involved in politics or government. And look, that is our top 15 myths of the nonprofit space. Go back, listen to those previous episodes so you can listen to the previous top five and then the previous top 10 list because this is just a continuance. I'll probably do two more of these and then I'll, I'll buy out and we'll, we'll start on some new things, some exciting things. But the myths keep coming. And if you think I missed a myth, be sure to hit me up on Instagram or TikTok at The Nonprofit Insider. You can also send me an email the nonprofit insider podcast at gmail.com. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, you can kind of follow us there and all the things. And I think this year we're going to get into YouTube. See, I'm already dropping hints in the first two weeks of the things that we're going to do. We're going to start getting into videos a little bit more. Uh, let me see. Is there anything else? No, listen, enjoy the rest of the day. Enjoy the rest of the month. It's cold out there, winter time. Uh, but before we know, we'll be talking about spring and, and that'll be an exciting time. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, and we'll see you in the next episode.